Kids Podcast, a podcast all about sharing ideas, tips, and strategies to help you develop as a kid min leader. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org slash children. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this month's episode of the Developing Leaders Impacting Kids podcast. I am your host, Sean McKinley. Joining me is our co-host, Joy Hensley. Hey, Joy, how are you doing today? I'm great, Sean. So excited. Another podcast. Woohoo! No, as uh, we've been talking today, we're so excited to be back in a rhythm of producing these podcasts after a very busy summer. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking also the feedback from last month that podcast. It was pretty incredible, some of the responses that we've gotten. Yeah, we've heard from many of our children's ministers around the world, as well as some of our partners in ministry. They're excited about the new direction that we're going, which really seems like a a subtle change in our mission, but we think it really uh, clarifies our purpose and the goal that we want to achieve, which is not just developing leaders, but discipling children. And so thanks to everybody who gave us some great feedback. We also want to mention today, as we have... uh, are starting this podcast recording, we've actually launched our new children's ministry website. And so for those who are listening who maybe have not had the chance, please run over to our website, which is cogop.org slash children. You'll see a new design, what we're calling it really a new experience there. Everything's streamlined and accessible to you. So go over there and join us. So Joy, today we are uh, excited about this conversation with a member of our team, um, we have been blessed now to serve alongside Michelle Brooks Young, uh, who stepped in really in an official capacity about five years ago as our KidServe coordinator. We had this ministry called Helping Hands for Kids that operated for about 15 years, um, which was solely focused on raising funds for our mission efforts around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I came into this role, Michelle had been a trusted partner and friend, and so uh, she offered to support us in this ministry, and we began walking through sort of a renaming, a rebranding, and really a repurposing of this ministry that has expanded now to um, involve kids in all areas of service, not just mission giving. Um, so as I said, uh, Michelle has served in KidServe now for five years. She also serves the state of Tennessee and the Church of God of Prophecy for over 17 years, almost 18 years as the missions coordinator and involved in a lot of great opportunities to help individuals and churches to accomplish home missions, uh, to impact ministries in the state of Tennessee, as well as North America and the United States, and of course, all around the world. So, um, Michelle, hello, welcome. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. I'm a longtime listener, so it's interesting to be on this side of the podcast. Oh, wow. Are you a first-time guest? Absolutely, first time. Oh my goodness, I didn't realize that. This is like our 40th episode. Oh my heavens. How did we get this far without having you on? Hopefully it won't be the last. Hopefully not. (laughs) Hopefully this was a good idea. We'll find out. We'll see. We'll see. Right. So great. Well, we've got a couple of questions um, about KidServe just to let everybody know what we've been doing and maybe the vision and where we where we hope to go with this ministry. So Joy, I think is going to ask us our first question. Yeah. Today. So those of you that don't follow Michelle on like social media, Facebook, Michelle just got back from a trip to Africa. So we want to ask you Michelle, what was that trip about and what all was accomplished? 
This trip to West Africa was almost like attending a graduation for your child. Uh, if you've been following it all with the five-year commitment that was made with West Africa, it was our French-speaking area. There had never been any training whatsoever in children's ministry. So going to this fifth year, when, of course, with the big C word that happened in 2020, it put everything on hold. And so we got to see the culmination of that five-year commitment. It was exciting, but a little bit different. Normally, a team goes to do all the teaching and training. So this time, we were actually uh, monitoring the participants that had been there. There were 19 basic trainers that had uh, went through all the five years. And so we got to critique them, watch their style of teaching, and it was refreshing, exciting. It was kind of almost we really didn't know what to expect, mm -hmm. but they blew it out of the park. Awesome. Now, I have a question for Sean, because some of you listening may just be a little unfamiliar with what is our progression of training. How does that work here for International Children's Ministries? Michelle was just talking about this commitment that they made. So, Sean, will you kind of fill us in on what does that look like when we say we are training and developing leaders? Sure. Well, uh, you know, our mission and vision in children's ministry, we see that we accomplish all that we try to do, uh, basically we fit them into uh, what we do into three categories. One is our training experiences, one is our resources, and the third is the community that we built. Um, when I came into children's ministries, we had already a, a, a very vast and broad catalog of training opportunities for people, and we've just added to that over these last five years. Um, but for a couple of years, I'd really been grappling with this idea that sometimes when people see everything we have to offer, they don't really know where to jump in and mm -hmm. where to start. And they don't always see, if I want to grow as a Kidman leader, how, um, how do I do that, utilizing everything that you have to offer? So um, really praying this through and working with our global advisory team, we plotted all of our significant trainings on a progression so that someone can go from just an entry level, someone who's brand new in children's ministry, and utilizing our different resources and training opportunities, they can move on to wherever it is, as far as long as God has called them all the way up to a master trainer. Mm -hmm. uh, and a master trainer, Michelle is one of those, you're one of those. It's someone who's been a part of all of our training experiences and um, they have developed as a trainer and they travel with us and, and, uh, pr and help us produce some of the training events that we do. The progression is available on the website. It's, if someone's curious, you know, maybe they've taken level one certification mm -hmm. and they don't know, you know, what's next, where do I go from here? Uh, maybe they've attended an Institute of Children's Ministry and don't know what's next for them. So the progression is really a roadmap of their journey um, with us and, and how to progress all the way to everything that they could possibly be. Mm -hmm. Um, in children's ministry. And so the training progression is important when we talk about West Africa because um, this progression that I believe the Holy Spirit has helped us to develop through um, just following His Spirit and the counsel of those around us, West Africa is the first place to totally complete a training cycle. And for us, what that means is um, in, in those nations, they now have trainers who've received everything we can give, including, um, as Michelle was explaining, they now understand how to be a trainer. Mm -hmm. And so they can sustain children's ministry without our direct influence. They are now able to um, 
coordinate their own certification trainings, their own institutes of children's ministry. And we are just there to supplement, to guide, to give vision, and to really cheer them on. So if people are interested, they can, again, go to the website, cogop.org slash children, and they can see that training progression and how to move through all of our training and development opportunities. Um, So, Michelle, I am curious, and I would love for you to share, because I actually was not in this role when the vision for West Africa was birthed. Mm -hmm. I was not there for the first two years of of this initiative. So um, why don't you tell us how it was to first travel to Africa and the feeling you had? You, You talked a little bit about it, but maybe go into a little more detail about what was it like to go there that very first year? Uh, versus what you see now, and um, how have things changed or maybe evolved? The first year, we had the training in Cote d'Ivoire, the Ivory Coast, and actually it started out as a one-time training. Of course, we were excited because it was the first time that there had ever been a French-speaking curriculum offered with the resources for them in their language. Uh, I found it interesting. I remember our very first day of class, As we entered into the room, we had everything set up from the day before, but there were nursing mothers there, there were families, there were 164 participants. They were sitting on the tables in the back because they had run out of chairs for the first one. And so it was exciting to see the level of commitment from them and the sacrifice, you know, to bring your nurse and baby with you all day long so then you would see them napping on the floor. But they were just like sponges. They drank up everything. Uh, Of course... This part of the area of Africa, they were open to the training. They wanted the resources. They wanted to be able to go further. And so actually the vision of the five-year program came from the three bishops there, uh, Bishop Cadado, Peter Coye, and Bishop uh, Antoine Kwasi. And they met with, at the time, Kathy Creasy and said, we would like for this to go further. Because I believe at the time it's more of a rotation where it may be another four or five years before ICM would come back to that area. And they believe because it was so fresh and so important for them to get this training to be able to go back, um, they didn't want to hesitate. So obviously it was a big yes from everybody, but there's always that little caveat of funding. And so that's where some roles come in. The second year, I did not go. It was in Benin. It was one of those years where the Lord specifically spoke to me that it was not my time to go. But I remember Kim and Kathy went, had a great training. I believe they met on the third floor rooftop classroom. Uh, Kim was telling me it was in triple digits. But they began to see, as the progression happened every year, it was important to keep up this uh, training in order for them to then be able to share it with their own people. So the first two years, we saw that everything was just going great. You came on year three, four, and five. Uh, I believe it's been exciting to watch many of the participants that started out in year one and then to see them in year five. You could see spiritual maturity. You could see leadership maturity. Uh, there are different aspects and you can see the strengths and weaknesses that they have but there is such a desire for them to want to go back and share what they have and there is no way anybody would have a team big enough to be able to accomplish training the entire West Africa areas Mm -hmm. 
But now that's possible because of this. So it was an excitement, but it was also a validation of the importance of this five-year commitment. It took a lot of uh, sacrifice and commitment on the overseer's part, the participants that came, and of course everybody getting on board to help fund it for the five years. But the payoff, there's no way we can measure the payoff uh, from the investment of, of this five-year commitment. And I think, Michelle, it's important to say what the uh, Holy Spirit was doing in International Children's Ministries was orchestrated so perfectly with what was happening in West Africa because the strategy for West Africa in the end did not look like what everyone thought it would look like in the beginning. Right. And so as we were, this training progression that joined, that I was talking with you about, as we were developing that here in the ministry, there was this open door that was already at work in West Africa. And so now we have a model and a template for, of all places out of West Africa, right. to replicate mm-hmm. around the world. And I think also um, this, this came also as there was a greater understanding of the importance of West Africa. Yes. Statistics and st- statisticians tell us mm-hmm. that in the next couple of years, that's really going to be the center of Christianity. Yes. Yes. And so the, uh, the opportunity to begin now developing uh, leaders, developing trainers, but also raising the value of this ministry in that area was so important. And, and you also see this rise of, of, um, of Islam mm-hmm. and the Muslim faith mm-hmm. in Africa. So many people are seeing the importance. We've got to build some firewalls on that continent just yes. geographically. Yes. And the work that we're doing in West Africa can help combat some of that, I believe. So, so interesting when you step back. Sometimes when we talked about this last month, Joy, when you were in the middle of a thing, you don't really fully understand what exactly. God's doing. Um, and so it's kind of marvelous to see, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The uh, beautiful part of the five-year commitment was even with the language barriers and challenges, sometimes there was travel challenges. I remember uh, the very first year, Brother Peter Coyer and his team, he brought probably 18 or 20 people with him, and they had arrived several hours later after the class started and came straight in, got into their seats, and that afternoon we were having dinner together and we asked him what happened. They had been delayed. Uh, They had got to a ticket counter. They would not allow them on the bus in order for them to go any further on their trip. And he said, I kept explaining to this ticket man, I have to get on there. Tickets have been paid. Here they are. And he's like, no, wrong bus. But he said that the man told him that if I don't see you get on the next bus in the morning, there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm like, well, what'd you do? And he said, we had no money for lodging or extra meals. They had brought some food with them on the strip. And so he said, I put the women up next to a concrete wall, had the men to be around them, surround them for protection during the night. And he said, I just told them, we're going to pray. The next morning, he said, our people were the first ones lined up. And he said, he looked and the ticket counter guy had looked out to Brother Peter turned his back the entire time. Everybody got to get on the bus and come on. So you saw the challenges that happened, the obstacles, but there was still such a sense of urgency. As you said, the statistics say this is where revival is going to begin at. And so I believe it's commitment and sacrifice that as well the Lord has favored that and continues to bless. I don't believe we'll ever actually know the amount of lives that will be changed because of a five-year commitment, but it will be astronomical. And every life that they can influence is one more for the kingdom. Yeah. And it's moving to see, you've, you've mentioned this in your comments, but the, 
the sacrifice of the people. Yes. Um, I think when we travel um, abroad, uh, we encounter people who will go by bus 19, 20, yes. 21 hours just yes. to receive training. They'll, you know, one, one gentleman I was, I, I'll never forget in El Salvador, walked for three hours. Right. He had no other means of transportation, mm-hmm. um, and he walked for three hours to get to our training. And um, I just think it's always amazing. Uh, I'm sorry, not three hours, three days. <laughs> you know, he walked yeah, for three days to get to our training. And so you see the uh, the sacrifices people mm-hmm. make, and God certainly, I think, rewards them. Right. And and when you are in that kind of environment, you you really can't count. You don't know what God's what all exactly. God's doing. Exactly. Maybe in a minute you can tell us a few more of those miraculous stories that you mm-hmm. that you've heard. So we were just talking about this training progression, and so all of us want to know now. So what's next? These trainers in West Africa. Obviously, we're not going to leave them just to fend for themselves. But um, yeah. what does that look like for them? What is the next step for them? Well, I'm going to step out of West Africa for a minute and just share some of my experiences early on. There were um, nations, particularly in Central and South America, who had received everything children's ministry had to offer. Mm -hmm. Uh, So many of them um, were contacting me immediately saying, what's next? Mm -hmm. What do you want us to do? And so, of course, in our minds, we've developed you to be a leader, so go lead, go train others. Mm -hmm. Um, So in our progression, what we built in was our master trainer and train the trainers programs um, because we wanted to sort of solidify when we've invested so much in an area, we want to solidify it by saying, okay, now we're going to invest in you to carry this vision forward um, and to be able to to provide training to your people mm-hmm. in your context in your language, um, so that's what we've done in West Africa. And so, our expectation is, and we've told them, you go now and train. Mm-hmm. And what's what again? I just use this word marvelous. I don't. There's got to be a better word, maybe, but I'm going to use that one. Um, we've already heard from them. They are doing trainings. They are going out, multiple trainers. Um, since we were just there a few weeks ago, they have already gone. They're not only doing training for adults, but they are doing children's crusades, children's revivals. So the content they learn, they're actually putting it into practice and not just training other people. So that's our goal, that these 19 trainers now will go back to their 11 nations, mm-hmm. and they will implement training um to the the churches and the ministries that are under them. We do have another campaign that we'll be talking about at the Institute of Children's Ministry this month um, and some online. Um, one of the things we were able to do for the first time, specifically for West Africa, we have a 30-course training program. We had the entire thing translated into the French language. So when we went um, prior, actually prior to this trip, when uh, we were contacting the trainers. We gave them those 30 courses, and then we provided them when they arrived with a printed and bound copy of all of those lessons. And so now we're working to provide the all the supplies and the materials mm-hmm. that they will need, the visuals um, and the props to get those into their hands so that they can offer just you know the highest caliber of training possible. So that's what's next. Multiply. We want mm-hmm. them to multiply themselves throughout West Africa in those 11 nations. So, Michelle, um, I want to turn back to you for just a second. Let's 
uh, step back and not uh, out maybe out of this conversation about West Africa, or you can bring us back in if you want, mm-hmm. um, because I know your heart is these stories and what's happening in these nations. But you are the Kids Serve coordinator. So if someone was listening and they're like, I, I don't, I don't know what Kids Serve is. What is this that you're talking about? What is Kids Serve? And maybe you can tell people some of the projects we've been involved in. Kids Serve, as you said, was a spinoff from the Helping Hands. Uh, it just seemed like it was a time for a refresh to renew it, maybe rejuvenate it a little bit. But we wanted it to be specifically for children to get involved. I believe that most every child learns by example and that they model what they see. But it's also very important to get the tools and the importance of missions which is a leg of KidServe. So we wanted them to know that they had a resource or an outlet that actually celebrates kids serving in church, in their communities, and in the homes. And a lot of times I think we always look at the financial aspect of it, but it's so much more than that. We had a church in Louisiana that sent us pictures of the children that had come together on a Saturday to help to freshen up the church for a homecoming, mow the lawn, pick up sticks, plant flowers, clean the church. I love that. That's kids serving. We've had uh, pictures and stories of kids serving in their communities at shelters or outreach centers. And then obviously through giving funds to help with whatever the project is. But kids service has established so that there is a leg and an outlet for them to be able to say, we help to fund this. And I know you and Joy both have probably experienced this when you go to different places. Children are so excited to know that there is a, a visual picture of a school or a roof or a bed or whatever it is that they helped to purchase that they were a part of. And we always like to remind people it's not always the amount that you do, but that you are a part of this project, everybody coming together collectively. And so KidServe has been, I think, a vital part of this five years because we've had so many states, areas, and regions that's gotten involved and wanted to be a part of it, but they always do this through their children's ministry. So I love that, that I had a pastor tell me not long ago, he said, we have more money in our children's KidServe fun than any other ministry in our church, which I was excited about. And he said, but everybody gets behind it. So I think it's important that people realize their children can be of service. Let them take up the offering. Let them help with communion, whatever it may be. Get them introduced to the different areas and aspects of responsibilities in church, as well as the financial giving part. Yeah, it, it really, uh, one of our, our hopes is that Service is a part of discipleship, so we're just when we teach kids service, we are discipling them, but we are preparing them to be the future leaders of the church. We're preparing them to be the future volunteers, teachers, musicians, right. worship leaders, and of course, listen up, pastors, the future givers mm-hmm. yes. to your local church as well as to missions. Absolutely. So, Michelle, what is the next kids serve project that oh. people can be excited to hear about and? How can we get involved? The next project, so you're going to get a little sneak peek, Mm -hmm. will be announced at ICM in November. We want to take children's ministry to new heights in Nepal. (laughs) Uh, We were blessed to have the overseer, Brother Gopal, to come and speak during a convention here in Tennessee. And he shared so many personal stories of true sacrifice. I think I made the comment after I heard him 
through lots of tears. It was one of those tissue moments where I was continually pulling out tissue as he shared the challenges and the uh, the persecution, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, that he experiences simply for sharing the gospel. And it was I tell my husband, I have learned a whole new definition of sacrifice. And so he can take, if it's my understanding, Sean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he has the opportunity to train multiple people. I'm talking in the hundreds. Mm -hmm. And so the next project will be a 200-person training that will take place next February, and we want you to be a part of this. We are only asking for a measly $20,000. And so I believe that God can take this money, multiply it, but then they can take the gospel even in places where it may be uh, dangerous for them to share, but they're still willing to share the good news. And when you say Nepal, it's like the uttermost parts of the earth, like people in the mountains walking and that type of situation. So how can our churches get involved, Michelle? Well, obviously you can contact Children's Ministry, COGOP, Uh, backslash children and get online and find out information you can contact the offices here please uh, email me mbrooksy at yahoo.com or you can find me on social media anytime we want to be a resource and a link for our churches Uh, if you need some ideas we'll share with you what has been successful in the past Uh, if you just need a launch or you want us to come and speak to specifically what the project may be at the time we are here for you to serve the pastors children's ministry leaders and congregations and joy you've actually been to nepal i have we actually just did a fundraiser at my church i was telling michelle about this earlier um we raised money for their orphanage they have two orphanages there and for christmas presents for the kids basic things shoes socks Mm -hmm. pants jackets so our church really got on board, so they have a great need there, and we, we love Gopal. He's very accountable, and so I'm excited about this project and supporting all the people that I love there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know Nepal and Brother Gopal have a portion of Joyce heart in a big mm-hmm. way, and, you know, I think his story is so compelling, and um, there are many places he talks about there in the mountains that we are the only Christian presence there. Mm-hmm. And so it's very humbling as children's ministries to be able to go into that um, situation and hopefully present some things that will make their jobs a little bit easier and to help them in their their goal mm-hmm. and their God-given assignment of discipling the children of Nepal. Uh, so if you're listening, we invite you certainly to be a part in helping us take children's ministry training there for the very first time. Um, so, uh, Michelle, you have seen a lot of fundraisers as you have been in this role mm-hmm. that churches are being created. Now, now I, I argue with you quite a bit because you will say <laughs> you are not a children's minister. Um, but God has now opened this fabulous door oh, yes. <laughs> for you to serve kids and children's ministers. So as you've seen uh, local churches do missions and fundraising opportunities with their kids, maybe you could tell us um, one or two creative examples of, of how people have gotten involved. One of the things, and actually I purchased one of these items. We had a church that had each of their children to make a Christmas ball. They attached the country that was going to be uh, benefiting from this fundraiser and the child's name and age. Every year, no matter what my color scheme is for Christmas, I pull this same ornament out. It was a $10 purchase. And this church raised several thousands of dollars. They started this 
uh, let the children start making them in early fall, had them prepared and ready for the Christmas season. We have had children who, of course, do the, the lemonade stands and makes great money. Uh, one little girl, her eyes got so big when she came to share with me that somebody gave her $20 for one cup of her lemonade. Mm. And her mom said that it had been a little bit of an issue for her then because then she thought everybody should pay $20 after that. <laughs> we have seen uh, people, they sell items, different arts and crafts items that they do, bake sales, of course. And I love it because I had a pastor who sent me pictures of his children. They decided to do a bake sale and they let the kids be involved and decide what they want to sell, what they want to offer for the fundraiser. Uh, parents made pictures from the very beginning of the children making the cookies or the cupcakes mm -hmm. all the way through. So it was a, a learning process for them as well. And then one of the uh, ways that many of our churches raises money for kids serve, which sounds insignificant, but reaps huge benefits. And I've been to several congregations that do this every Sunday. These children would march out through the congregation with their little bucket. You drop in your spare change every week. And one pastor told me that they average about $2,000 a year simply from this, and they know that it goes to Kids Serve. It goes to whatever project may be currently at the time that we're working on. I love when our congregations think outside of the box. And so these are just some ideas anybody can implement. Of course, there's always the standby. Ask Grandma, Mimi, Poppy, and ask them for money. But I love when they're also offering something that they've made. And they can see a little bit of the sacrifice and investment that goes into KidServe. Yeah, and we've been really, it's been awesome to see participation now outside of the United States. Yes. And uh, we had a KidServe project for Spain that we did um, just from KidServe, but then there was some need for some follow-up funding. And so all the Children's Ministries of Central America took that on, yes. and they said, hey, we can raise that money. But... Uh, you know, I think about on the streets of Mexico, we had kids who were selling balloon animals, yes. you know, just to passerbys, just to raise money for, yes. for missions. So um, it, there are many creative ways out there. And just what does God have? What has God given you or talent or ability or kids? Exactly. Use that for kids serve. So, Michelle, you've mentioned our website, cogop.org slash children. But is there any other places or resources people can go to to find out more about KidServe or maybe just how that they can serve, whether that be at home, church, community? There is a book that I purchased probably uh, two ICMs ago in North Carolina. It is Unwrapping the Servant by Tina Hauser. It is an excellent resource. Obviously, you can tweak it to whatever your community needs or offers, but it is some great basic jumping off place for you to have some ideas. Also, if somebody has questions and they want to give me some specifics of their community, the demographics of where they live, we don't mind coming together with you and uh, developing something that's specific to your area. But I highly recommend that book for children's ministry leaders, uh, the fundraiser in your congregation. It's a great place for you to get different ideas that can not only let them be servants and, and give different uh, examples, but as well as for fundraising. Awesome. So, Michelle, just for fun, I have one more question for you. Um, tell us just about your favorite place that you've traveled to and why it's your favorite. That's like asking me which one of my children <laughs> are my favorite children. Uh, I absolutely love every place I've been to. And I say that every time. I uh, loved Egypt. I love the culture. I love the food. I love the people. 
I love Spain. I love the culture. I love the people. <laughs> I love the food. Everywhere I go, there is something different. And I always say this, there is a connection simply because we're all in the same right. organization. Obviously, we know we're in a family. But there is just something about uh, our brothers and sisters around the world that grips your heart. And I will either see something on TV or hear something in the media, and it brings you back to that. Somebody gave me some great advice the first time I ever traveled internationally, and they said to write down a journal on your trips while you're there, the sights, the sounds, and the smells. And I try to do that so many times, and there will be something that will trigger you that you'll see. Uh, I can't eat hummus without thinking about Brother Samir, uh, my, the very time that we had two ICMs there in Egypt uh, we actually sat on the Nile River in Valentine's Day and so I came back and told my husband he's going to have to up his game for Valentine's the next year but every place we go it has a special memory and uh, I think just the connection to know you really do have family all over the world absolutely I love that so Michelle um, I, I feel like I need to give you a minute just to tell um, to reiterate your testimony from the Gambia Oh, would you like to share that story before <laughs> we what, say goodbye? That's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> uh, we were on our way to Guinea Conakry for year three of the ICM, and uh, as we took off from one of our locations, they had told us that we would have some turbulence. The airplane had gotten the air. We were all excited, thinking that within just a few short hours we'll be landing in Guinea Conakry. However, the Lord had different plans for us on that trip. Uh, it began storming really bad. The uh, captain come on, told everybody, please stay in your seats. If the mask fall down, make sure you put yours on first. Uh, and then the plane began just whipping wildly in the air. And so we... Uh, Notice that people were, you were in a different part of the plane, but we could hear people screaming all over the plane. People were asking for sick bags as they were getting sick. And we heard Allah yelled out. We heard <laughs> Jesus yelled out. Uh, I was making pictures outside of the plane just in case it was my last Facebook post. I wanted it to be a good one as we were going down. And so we had to make an emergency landing in Gambia. One of the things that happened, the captain come on and said, we cannot go back. We don't have enough fuel. We can't go forward. We don't have enough fuel. We will have to make an emergency landing in Gambia. Uh, I had never been to Gambia. I don't think you or Kim either one had either. So I really didn't have anything to base this on. But we began to hear some indigenous Africans saying they did not want to land in Gambia because they were cannibals. Uh, cannibalism was still practiced there. <laughs> To which I knew they would be thrilled and think there was a God when I landed there. But we were uh, automatically surrounded. The plane was surrounded by guards when we landed on the tarmac there. It was obvious that they weren't used to an emergency landing, much less the size of the plane that we were on. We spent several hours there through the rest of the night, early into the morning, with not knowing what was going to happen next. They uh, got ready to send us via bus to a hotel at a place we had no idea where we were going. And about that time, Sean received a telephone call from our bishop there, uh, the overseer, Brother Udi Chris, saying, I understand God has dropped you in my country. I need to come and pick you up and show you hospitality. And so after getting to the hotel, he came, he and his wife uh, took us to dinner. 
We got to tour the church. God was definitely in dropping us off in Gambia. From there, we saw the need that they have of needing a roof and a children's ministry section to be completed. And through the generosity of men and women all over the United States, that became a reality. So what we thought was an emergency landing was actually just a sovereign uh, reconnect. And so we were thankful for that. And then from there, we went on to Guinea-Conakry and finished the training. But there, Brother Udi has such an interesting story of how he came to where he's at in Gambia. And he felt like God had planted him right in the middle of a subdivision, basically. He didn't realize at the time that there was 150 to 200 children that lived there that had no place to go every day, needed a lunch, needed education. So God had a plan, as always. And it was just very refreshing to see, even though sometimes we don't see the big picture, God always does. And he has a way of bringing us all together. Sure. And, you know, I just thank God for Michelle's leadership. I thank God for your heart for missions and your passion your insight to know that nothing's impossible with God as long as we trust our plans with Him. In the last five years, we didn't really go through all of this, uh, but for 15 years or so, Children's Ministries did Helping Hands for Kids, and we do projects of five to $10,000 each year. And I can remember um, when um, I came into this role, people were asking, what's the next project? And I wasn't willing, I really wasn't willing to move until I heard the Lord say, this is what I want you to do. And just like God, he brought Michelle uh, in, into this ministry, uh, offering your support and your help and your wisdom and experience. But just like God, the first project is a $100,000 project, <laughs> something we've never done before. And I was so unsure, but Michelle said, we can do this. It is possible. And sure enough, what seemed impossible became possible. And Michelle got a little taste for this and said, you know what, I think God wants us to do more than one project at a time. <laughs> and so because of that insight, we've been able to raise money for children around the world to have Bibles. We've been able to put, you know, um, uh, in uh, Guinea-Conakry, they needed a roof for the mm -hmm. building. The children's area was being flooded. Mm -hmm. And so we offered uh, our help and, of course, the generosity of our donors. We knew they'd come through. Where we not only put a roof on that building, but we put a second floor yes. where they now have classrooms yeah. and not just a large meeting space for their children. We were able to help finish the children's ministry building in the Gambia. Mm -hmm. um, we could just keep going down the list. We were able to do a children's ministry training for the first time for over a dozen church plants in Spain and yes. and over $250,000 raised for these West Africa trainings. Mm -hmm. So there's so much. And now our first opportunity to go to Nepal and our first time in Asia in more than five years. Mm -hmm. um, so we are very thankful for Kids Serve, um, for what is possible through this ministry because we are raising servants in our local congregations who are, are blessing their families, their homes, their communities, their churches, and the world through um, all of these opportunities. So we do, Michelle's always very quick to give God the glory, and we are thankful to Him, and we are thankful to the generous people of the Church of God of Prophecy and to our kids who raise these funds. Um, so Nepal is next. Um, we also have, uh, we're still raising funds for West Africa. If the stories that you've heard today have touched your heart, uh, we have not paid completely for that project, so we invite you to give there if, if you see the vision there. Um, we are right now um, going to be raising funds for the trainers kits for West Africa. Um, so the needs never, never seem to end, mm -hmm. um, but it's a continued opportunity to see God come through. 
And so, Michelle, I'm going to ask you, if you would, uh, pray for the people who are listening today. Um, I have many times called you and said, Michelle, I don't necessarily have the faith right now to see what needs to happen, so I'm going to need to borrow yours. Um, So why don't you pray for those who are listening today? Maybe they want God to use them to be uh, an answer, a solution to these problems, or maybe in their own ministries or personal lives, they need to see God come through for them. So would you pray a prayer as we conclude this podcast? Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for the reports that can be given because you made it all possible. You touched hearts and minds and pocketbooks and checkbooks. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, God, that you remind us in subtle ways sometimes that everything we have, Lord, already belongs to you. And we're just thankful to be a small part of that. Father, I pray that you would look down, Lord Jesus, to anyone listening, whatever their need may be. Lord, that you would remind them you can afford whatever it is. If it has a financial tag to it, Lord, you can afford it. That there is nothing too big, too impossible, too out of reach for you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen our faith. And Lord, whether we have a $5 or a $50,000 donation to give, that we realize little is much when God is in it. That you take, Lord Jesus, Lord, when we give out of our increase, when we give from the heart, when we give realizing, Lord, that it can make a difference. I pray that you would bless our faith. Lord, let us try you, I do pray, and give that amount and see how you use it and multiply it. There is no way that we can ever keep up, Lord, with a tally sheet of what you've done with the money that's been invested. But, Father, there are lives, souls, communities, and generations that will be and have been changed because of the investment of others. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunities to be able to give, to pour into, to invest into, Lord, these opportunities that you have given each of us. Let us never, Lord, take, Lord, what we have for granted. And, Lord, help us, Lord Jesus, to put some place on our heart, our mind, and our soul. Soften those hearts, Lord Jesus, that are not soft to the giving outside of this country or inside of this country, whatever the need may be. And help us to always be looking, Lord Jesus, for opportunities to sow into your kingdom. We ask and pray. Amen. for listening to today's episode. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org children.